Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This episode is brought to you by Bike Index. Bike Index is a free bicycle registry and stolen bike recovery platform. Throughout the global pandemic, Bike Index has seen an extreme increase in bicycle theft, which has made bicycle registration even more important. Bike Index has a stolen bike recovery platform that's integrated with police and pawn industry databases, as well as social media platforms. So in the unfortunate occurrence of your bike being stolen, you can immediately get the help you need. Registration is free at www.bikeindex.org. Bike Index is a 5013C nonprofit and is also engaging in its end-of-year donations campaign. Please consider a donation at www.bikeindex.org donate. This week on the podcast, we've got sports nutritionist and professional cyclist Kristen Arnold. Kristen has a master's degree in science and human nutrition from Ohio State University, is a USA Level 2 cycling coach with Source Endurance, and races professionally with the Butcher Box racing team. I've always got a million questions about nutrition, and it's certainly a topic that's coming up in the new ridership forum. Kristen helps us break down what to think about eating the week before an event, during an event, and after an event. I thought it would be useful to think about it in that context, just because a lot of us, these big events, say a hundred miler, that's a big, unusual ride for us. We're not doing that every month in our cycling career. We're just kind of peaking for something that is really extreme in terms of what our body is used to. So it's important to kind of think about that, not only in your physical preparation, but also in nutrition and hydration. Kristen does a great job of breaking down the things you should be thinking about before the event and during the event to give yourself the best chance for success. She's got some fantastic takeaways for us all and a few little tricks that I hadn't thought about. So I hope you enjoy this episode and let's jump right in. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. I'm excited to get into the topic of nutrition with you, but I always like to set the stage for the listener to get a little bit more of an understanding about your background, since you've got a background both professionally as a nutritionist, but also as a professional cyclist. Why don't you give us a little bit of both? Okay. Um, So I kind of make my living in three different ways right now, (laughs) and Uh, I went to school for nutrition, so I have an undergraduate degree in dietetics and then got my registered dietitian RD credential, um, ended up getting my master's of science in human nutrition, and then became a certified specialist in sports dietetics. So I was in school for eight years uh, (laughs) studying nutrition and So opened my private practice sports dietetics company in 2014 and then started coaching um, cycling in 2016. I now work with Source Endurance and I've been racing on the professional road circuit since 2016 and now racing for ButcherBox Pro Cycling. Wow, that keeps you busy. Yeah, (laughs) yep. We've had a couple episodes recently where we've touched on things that I would fall in the realm of nutrition, and I was excited when we connected just to bring you on board and talk from the athlete's perspective about how my listeners might improve their overall nutrition, nutrition, and such because that's such a massive field, 
and something that everybody needs to spend time thinking about and integrating into their lives. I thought we would just think about it from the perspective of an athlete who may be only doing a handful of events a year, so not a professional cyclist by any means, but someone who's peaking for an event that may be way out of the ordinary for them. So think about like a a 200-mile gravel race and an SBT gravel or a a Mid-South gravel event. So let's kind of try to break down the conversation by starting, you know, if you have one of those big, big peaks in your year, how should you be approaching it nutritionally in the week leading up? And then how should you be approaching your nutrition during the event? Okay. All right, so we're going to talk about the week before and the day of a big event. Um, There is some research to show that what people call carb loading is effective. And what this means is that you are eating a high proportion of your calories up to 7 to 10 grams per kilogram body weight of carbohydrates um, per day. And what that's doing is it is super saturating your glycogen stores. So for endurance athletes, especially cyclists with these long gravel events, um, even though a lot of the time you'll be below threshold, the majority of the type of effort you're going to be doing relies on glycogen. And so the main goal with Um, going into the event is to make sure that those glycogen stores are as full as possible, if not fuller than they normally are. Um, And then that also goes for hydration. So also making sure that we have adequate hydration stores and meeting those with fluid and electrolytes. So short version of that is to, um, continuously eat carbohydrate-rich foods throughout the day for up to a week before the event, and then also making sure to hydrate well with electrolytes every day consistently throughout the day. So let's unpack those both slowly, and and maybe I'll start with hydration just because that's the easiest one. It is interesting to me, and that tip was conveyed to me back in my Ironman days, the idea of making sure that you're just super hydrated in the days before a big event, because obviously you just, you can't, you don't, you don't want to start off in a deficit, but I think you were also mentioning to make sure you're blending some electrolytes in that hydration strategy in the week before. Are there any specific tips in terms of like number of bottles you might want to drink during any given day before the events? Yeah, that's a good question. So as far as total number of bottles or different things. Um, There is not a standard of practice for how much fluid to drink, but generally speaking, I usually recommend something like four to five liters of total fluid. And so the fluid can come from water, tea, juice, coffee, drink, like sports drinks mix, lemonade, anything besides alcohol counts towards your five to four to five liters of fluid. Okay. And is the rationale just that you just want to make the stores topped off before your big day? Yep. You want to make sure that all your cells have adequate hydrogen and oxygen. Um, And in order to do that, you do need to mix it with electrolytes. So that is one of the major mistakes I see athletes make is they do a really good job of drinking water 
but what ends up happening is their cells aren't actually hydrated because they're not retaining the water with that influx of sodium. Okay. So blending in a little bit of sort of sports drink or electrolyte drink into the mix is important. Definitely. Or you can do salty food. So anytime you're eating food, make sure to drink fluid or incorporate salty snacks like salted potatoes, um, pretzels, things like that. Okay. Interesting. So, and then shifting over to the carbo loading strategy, I think one of the challenges the average athlete might have is, you know, in the weeks leading up to their big event, they may be sort of peaking out in their training. And then in that week, immediately prior to the event, they may be tapering, but they may have sort of a massive appetite still, while at the same time, not exerting themselves at all during the week before. What's the strategy for sort of balancing the need to carbo load without overeating? Mm. Um, I have not actually, so I think one mistake people may make is choosing carbohydrate rich foods that also are high in fat and or protein. And so that's how you would end up overeating. But most of the athletes I've worked with, it's a, it's a struggle to eat the amount of carbs that is necessary to super saturate your glycogen, like eating, um, like lots of potatoes, lots of rice, lots, lots of whole grains, lots of fruit, um, tends to make people bloated. And so it's not very comfortable on top of them likely being nervous for their event. What I've found is a lot of athletes just have a hard time getting all the food down because they're nervous and it's also not very comfortable. So figuring out what foods work for you that are rich in carbohydrates. And then if you really have a hard time doing liquid calories, so smoothies and things like that. Right. And are you encouraging athletes to kind of spread that load across the three meals a day? Mm -hmm. Yep. Share it through the three main meals and then snacks along the way. So incorporating snacks will uh, make it a little bit easier on your gut to digest all of it. It actually also helps to saturate those glycogen stores. So rather than doing a large amount all at one meal, um, it's more effective for your glycogen stores to eat smaller amounts more often. So doing something like three, three meals and two or three snacks throughout the day. Gotcha. And I've been reading a little bit about sort of sleep and timing your meals to make sure that you're not full, obviously, when you're trying to go to sleep. Are, are you seeing athletes kind of eat a bigger meal in the middle of the day to try to make sure that they're not pushing into when they should be going to sleep with a full belly? Yeah, I think the, like the ter- in terms of when to eat, what, it, it is all for athletes, it's all about training or your riding or your exercise. So that's the main difference between athletes and non-athletes is athletes should be thinking about their food in terms of when they're training and what their workouts are. Um, where a lot of like the typical recommendations for eating are not centered around athletes and not people that exercise regularly. So if you're doing a, you know, a long group ride or something that starts at five o'clock after work, um, you're definitely going to need to replace some calories after you get done with your ride in the evening, but it is best to eat before the ride, knowing that 
it's just going to be tougher to get it in afterwards. So front loading carbohydrates and calories to be prepared for your training um, is definitely a better approach for the most part. And in that preparatory week, where does protein fit into the equation? That's a good question. So um, protein needs, in general, uh, similar to carbohydrates, but different is your body can only absorb so many amino acids in one sitting. And the main reason we eat the protein and why our body needs protein is that it can't produce the amino acids. We have to get them through food. And so you have to spread them out throughout the day. Um, Generally, people can only digest between 20 to 40 grams of protein per sitting for like three-hour window. And so for the week leading up to an event, just making sure you do what you would normally do as far as spacing that protein out. But the protein recommendations, like the daily protein needs, aren't going to change whether you're doing a big event or not. Okay. And if there's someone interested in sort of digging into more information on this, is there? do you know of resources for someone to kind of uh, get a little encouragement to create the, you know, the right type of meals during that week? Mm, um, Asker Jukendrup, if you can <laughs> spell that, uh, A-S-K-E-R, and then his last name is J-E-U. K-E-N-D-R-U-P, so that you can drop. Uh, he has great resources that are easy to follow um, for anybody, but he's actually written a lot of the textbooks on sports nutrition. So when I was in grad school and took um, graduate level sports nutrition, he was one of the authors of the textbooks. And so he has all these great resources on his website and also on Instagram. Great. I'll, I'll try to find links to that as well to put in the show notes. Cause I do think it's, you know, for me, when I'm looking at an event, it's easy to do a sprint of a great diet versus really changing my diet, which is something I've, I've often struggled with over the years to just eat as well as I should be eating to kind of fuel the performance I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about what that week prior to an event will look like. It's about kind of getting those carbohydrates, getting your hydration. When we, when we come to race day, often these gravel races might start at 7 a.m. Could you sort of walk through what some race day nutrition would look like? Yeah. All right. So 7 a.m., um, <clears throat> let's say ideally you're getting to the venue around 5.30, so an hour and a half, 5, 5.30, 2.00. Two hours, one and a half hours before, um, and hopefully you have a hotel that's near the start, so it's not too far away. Let's say you're getting up at like four o'clock. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thinking probably you'd want to wake up at four. So um, first thing you want to do is start to eat a meal that's rich in carbohydrates and some protein and fat. Um, so let's say you have your breakfast already prepared. You're eating at around 4.30. That's going to give you about two and a half hours to digest that. So and, a really... And question, follow-up question on that. So what, what would A, be an example of an appropriate meal? And B, why, do, why would you want to do it two, two hours before the event? 
Yeah. Um, two hours before two to three hours is going to allow your body enough time to digest the food. So it's not sloshing around in your tummy before you start. So you want to eat early, um, especially with a lot of these gravel events, you think like, Oh, I'm going to start a 200 mile day. It's going to be chill, but it's not, it's like a cross race. It's like all out immediately. <laughs> so if you have a big meal flashing around, um, those first 20 miles or so are, which are really critical. Um, you, you're not going to have the right, you're not going to be prepared in the right way for that start. So having something that's easy, um, a lot of athletes, including myself, do oatmeal. And so oatmeal is also nice because you can prepare it the night before. So doing oatmeal with a banana and potentially peanut butter um, or egg whites or even hard-boiled eggs, um, something that you're familiar with that you eat on a regular basis for breakfast or before rides and that will have enough time to digest in that two hours. I was hoping you were going to say oatmeal. That's one of my go-tos. Yeah. It's also found at gas stations. So um, making sure that your pre-race meal is something that's easily found in grocery stores or um, at the event. And so you're not scrambling if you don't have access to it. Yeah, and I think it's an important note when, you know, if this is one of the listeners' only big events throughout the year, you want to control what you can control. And as you mentioned, you know, if oatmeal's your jam, you certainly can carry oatmeal, regardless of how far you're flying or driving to get somewhere. You can certainly carry that meal with you, and it's one less thing you have to worry about that morning. Yep, totally. Okay, so we've we've got that oatmeal dish behind us two hours before the event, we're ready at the start line. These events, you know, they can be for a lot of athletes, eight, 10 hour days. How do you look look about, look at kind of how to maintain the right fuel and hydration strategy throughout an event that that's, that is that long? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with Source Endurance, the coaching company I work with, we offer a service called the Race Day Fueling Plan. And so what I do is I create um, like a course map with the speed zones on it and then a top tube sticker that tells the athlete exactly what to pick up at the aid stations, what to try to shove down at the aid stations, and then how much to eat between each aid station. And um, assuming there's, yeah, assuming there's aid stations, (laughs) that's helpful. No, I like that. I, I think that's something that probably is worth highlighting for people. I mean, you can put a piece of masking tape on your top tube with some notes on it just to remind you of what your strategy is throughout the day. It's not probably as fancy as the sticker that Kristen and her team could put together, but just the subtle reminders to to eat and drink at certain intervals and understanding that in relation to how the course is unfolding in front of you as you don't necessarily want to have a you know massively full belly while you're hitting the biggest climb of the day. Yeah, exactly. And even um, even just making the sticker is really helpful, right? You're creating a mental map for yourself and you're preparing to know what you have to do so you don't have to make decisions on or at the day. So the athletes that like don't think about these things and they have to do all the math in their head as they're riding, 
or they don't and they underfuel um, are not going to have as much success. Yeah, exactly. I think I remember when uh, when Yuri Hoswald was on talking about what he does for these big big events. He even goes so far as to pack each individual pocket with a specific type of nutritional product so that he knew without thinking, you know, I'm going to go the right-hand side for something with caffeine in it, the left-hand side for something different. Exactly, yeah. And a lot of people are carrying hydration like vests now, which are really cool, and they have all these other pockets, so you can be really organized about, um, you can put gels in one pocket and bars in another pocket, and then like extra drink mix packets in another pocket. Yeah, I was so nervous in my first Ironman that I set my Timex watch to ring every 15 minutes just to remind me <laughs> to be eating and drinking all the time. Yes, so helpful. Yeah, so there's a lot of tricks, particularly you know if you're coming out and doing your first massively long event, all these tips and tricks can really help you be as successful as possible on that outing. Yeah, I honestly, I have a lot of people hire me that, um, have just had, they've just made so many unfortunate catastrophic mistakes in these long events and they make them over and over again. So like they'll bonk or have like really severe gut bomb issues. And, um, and so just being prepared with your fueling is really, that's, what's going to give you success on the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's one of the reasons many people come back to the same events time and time again, because they can be very elusive, these ultra endurance events, right? You can make Mm -hmm. a mistake that in hindsight seems absolutely stupid that you made that mistake and so easily rectifiable. You just want to go out there and prove to yourself, gosh, I can do this. I can get everything right. Yep. But the other thing with gravel is everything right is often never possible whether it's your nutrition oh, yeah. or your bike or the weather or the terrain, you know, it, it, it throws so many variables at you that you have to be able to think on your toes as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so you were talking about sort of laying out a nutritional strategy and obviously in a, in an eight to 10 hour long event, most riders will not be carrying all their own nutrition with them. They will be relying on aid stations and most athletes will at least figure out what's going to be offered at that point to make sure that, what's going to be available is going to suit them. But given that it may not necessarily be your number one choice, how do you have athletes think about that? Is there any sort of thing that they need to be worried about when going into kind of a neutral aid station that may be supplied by a, you know, a a company that you don't necessarily use? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing, if you're planning for a big event is to gather all the information you can about what is going to be available on course. So, and when, so where the aid stations are, what products the event is sponsored, is likely sponsored by, um, and also contingencies. So what, you know, what may be available or what can you get access to if that's not there? So, and then there's some events that offer things like drop bags as well. So you can have some of your own stuff available, whether that's drink mix or bars or gels um, that you can use a drop bag. But even, I mean, I've definitely unfortunately heard of (laughs) drop bags just not being there. Um, 
or they got like trampled on and like their gels are all exploded in their bag or something. Yeah, there's nothing worse than counting on that peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it not being there. Yeah. So, yeah, once you have all the information about where the aid stations are um, and what you'll have access to, then you can start to plan um, how to meet your nutritional and your fueling needs. Yeah, I think that 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 uh, concept of a drop bag, as we were talking about earlier with events trying to reconceive themselves as COVID-safe experiences for people, I'm, I wonder if we'll see more and more of that drop bag phenomenon where you're packing your own gear and it's going to be sitting there at mile 75 for you. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah, there might be a resurgence of the drop bag. Um or there might be more events like Dirty Kanza, which require you to have some type of your own support. And so you'll have some kind of support crew there for you providing whatever you want. Yeah, it's gonna it's really going to be interesting to see how all that pans out um, in 2021, because I think you, you and I both share the, the hope that we'll get back to more of a regular racing and event season. Totally. Yeah. And gravel racing has just come, come such a long way. I mean, there, it's interesting how it's gotten so popular, um, in the last couple of years, cause they've been, there have been gravel series in the Midwest for up to 10 years. And, um, before gravel bikes existed, people would just ride their cross bikes or their hardtails. And, um, and those events, you know, it could be anything from like, you may like, there may be some boy scouts on course that may have some brownies you can buy from them (laughs) or (laughs) there's a gas station on course, but we don't know if it's going to be open. And that's like the only support that was going to be offered, not offered. Right. (laughs) Yes. The gravel athlete is certainly less pampered perhaps than other segments of the sport. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's actually a a rather interesting segue. So we've been talking about how to kind of fuel up for those big days. And I think you've given some helpful tips in terms of how to approach your big event. And if it's a one-day event, how to fuel for that. I know you've got a lot of experience with multi-day events. And I think in in this year, in the time of COVID, we've seen a lot of athletes sort of pivot towards these more self-supported events just because they can go out there and challenge themselves, whether it's, you know, the Cocapelli Trail or the Colorado Trail or the Tour Divide. How do you shift gears when you're looking at, say, a seven-day self-supported event and trying to maintain a nutrition strategy across that length of time? Yeah, so multi-day events, um, it is different, but similar in this in in the same way so you want to go into it the same as you would a one-day event where you are super saturating your glycogen and your fluid stores um but then as far as like the organization of everything that you have to bring or what you're going to resupply that's where it gets um a little bit different and then obviously if it's self-supported that's different than if you have perfect aid stations with people handing you cups of things and you know exactly what's going to be available. Right. Um, yeah. And then if it's a multi-day event too, if it's a, if it's something like an FKT attempt where 
you're not carrying any more than you absolutely need to, right? Um, what would be considered stoveless, where you're just eating packaged food, anything that's shelf stable? Um, or if you're doing like a tour or a bikepacking ride where you are bringing cooking thing, cooking supplies, um, that those are two very different ways of approaching it. So um, with a stoveless option, it's really like my best advice is just to eat whatever sounds the best to you because at those, you're never going to be able to eat. It, it will be physically impossible for you to eat the number of calories that you're burning for these long days. And so really as many calories as you can get down, um, is the best strategy. So however, whatever that looks like for you, whatever the gas station might provide. Yeah, I did. I also, I say that, but then I heard this story recently. <laughs> there was this guy that, um, he did, he attempted the Coco Pelli trail and I think it took him like 22 hours, which, um, is a long time to be out there on a bike for a day. And his plan was to eat a, I think it was a McDonald's um, cheese, like bacon cheeseburger every two hours. And that was like his fueling plan is he was going to eat <laughs> every two hours, uh, which I would not recommend. It's funny you mentioned that because my, my good friend in Mill Valley, James Gracie, who's done a bunch of Ironman, one of his go-to items in his drop bag was he would put two McDonald's hamburgers. To me, I wouldn't want to eat them anyway. And then the, the, to imagine they're going to be sitting in your drop bag for the uh, six hours prior to you getting there just made it sound quite a risky strategy. Yeah, not ideal. Um, yeah, so generally you want to do the same fueling where you prioritize carbohydrate-rich foods, and then you have some fat and protein. Um, granted, like, fat is much more dense calories for the space. So, like, if you're doing bikepacking or something where bikepacking is really, like, the biggest challenge is space, right? Like, backpacking with a giant pack, you have space to put stuff. Um, but bikepacking where you have these tiny little bags, you're fitting everywhere. It's like space is the issue. And so something like nut butter that, um, that you can just fit a lot of calories in a tiny little space is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. We just got done with an episode with, um, the guys from Apadura bags and we were talking about weight and weight distribution. It becomes incredibly challenging when you've got to edit it down to fit in these bike packing bags for, for these longer trips. And to your point, you gotta, you gotta pick whatever is can get you as many calories as possible in a small amount of space and as least amount of weight as possible. Exactly. Yeah. For, um, the Coco Pelli trail SKT attempt I did a couple weeks ago, I made these like no bake power bars, which I think I cram I somehow got like 350 calories in like a two by two inch square, which I was very <laughs> proud of myself. I did, I carried like 1200 calories of these bars and it took up 
like one pocket. <laughs> yeah, I think the the guys who were doing uh, I forget the gentleman's last name, but Colin something who was doing the trip across Antarctica or wherever it was, he made the Colin bar, which was, sounds like it was a similar attempt to just pack as much calories into a small amount of space and weight as possible and he just would eat them day after day after day in this expedition yep but going back to your point earlier it's, it's equally important to make sure whatever your nutrition strategy is is something that's sustainable so you know packing 12 of those bars in a row if you really can't stomach and digest and be enthusiastic about eating them may be a faulty strategy totally yep yeah, and then um, I would also say that it is important to make sure that you have electrolytes, and because that's a it's a safety issue, right? If you're out in a hot environment and you don't have adequate electrolytes, even if you have water supply, um, you can run into issues like hyponatremia, which is, I mean I'm sure you you might be familiar or at least heard of it from Iron Man. Um, and so making sure you have drink mix and you have extra drink mix, drink mix powder, or you use capsules or something to make sure you have those electrolytes available. Yeah. Just when you think you got one thing right, you've sort of overcorrected and and got yourself into a, a situation that's even tougher than being dehydrated. Exactly. Yeah. So a listener had pinged me because we had brought it up in passing with uh, in one of my In the Dirt episodes, we had talked about intermittent fasting. And I was just curious to get a, a little bit of information from you, from your perspective as a nutritionist on it, and maybe through the lens of a professional cyclist. Yeah, um, I get this question a lot, actually, in my practice uh, as a sports dietitian, and it's definitely... Um, it's, it's interesting cause it's become kind of a hot topic right now in health, um, in health and fitness, but also that can be really helpful because what it does is it allows for more money to be pumped into the research for that area. And as far as intermittent fasting goes, um, the current evidence we have, it shows that it is helpful for people with diabetes or that are pre-diabetic, um, to control their blood sugar levels. It's also been helpful to, for weight loss for, um, people with obesity and, and, or morbid obesity. Um, and then also some people with cardiovascular risk factors. So if you have high cholesterol, um, high LDL, there is research to show that it can help lower those numbers. And, so these are all very like clinical applications and that's really all the research we have available right now. Um, as a professional cyclist, um, the, the, the perspective I have with it and from what I've gathered information, just talking to people that have tried it, like in my, in my sphere of colleagues of professional athletes is, um, the people that use it and it helps them, it's more like a reset if they're in an off-season period where they're just not training as much, right? So, like, if you're, like, taking a break um, from training and you're exercising, you know, less than seven hours a week, then it can be helpful. But the athletes um, 
that are attempting intermittent fasting, like in a training block, so something like seven hours of intense exercise or more, um, it what it does is it it just lowers your time window to get all the nutrients you need in for a day. So you're at risk for just being under fueled um, for training and then also for the for your daily nutritional needs. Gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, in many ways, when I've tried to control it, I can't control it on the days where I have a big ride, right? Because I need, I just need to fuel up in the way I would normally fuel up. I can get away with a, a, a breakfast ride without eating breakfast, meaning I can go out for one or two hours fairly easily without needing anything personally. But mm-hmm. if I am heading out for a three or four hour ride, I definitely want to make sure that I have a meal and get something in me prior to going out there. Yeah, totally. And I think um, fasted rides is different than intermittent fasting, right? Like the definition of fasted training and how it's executed is different than intermittent fasting. Um, But there's some really interesting, like, interesting research and then professional opinions um, from people like Stacey Sims about uh, about intermittent fasting and fasted training. I mean, she's a huge proponent of not doing it. <laughs> she's like, if you listen to her talk about it, she has very strong opinions. Um, and the, the research that she cites is not so much... Um, randomized controlled trials where there's like athletes trying this and they're doing data. It's more like um, scientific theory behind what's probably happening physiologically when athletes do fasted training. And, and what that means is just that um, there's some research to show that specifically females, when you perform fasted training, it increases cortisol levels which is a stress hormone, and that causes a cascade of all kinds of hormonal issues and metabolic issues. Um, so she recommends not doing fasted training for females. Um, but I have seen some studies on males because I did some research. I just or I did a literature search on this, and uh, for males, it does. There are some benefits. <clears throat> as far as fat adaptation and being able to utilize fat in training for fasted rides. But again, that's with the caveat. You have to make sure you're still meeting your fueling needs throughout the day. Because if you all of a sudden are like skipping a meal and you're not replacing the calories lost afterwards, then, then you run an energy deficiency, which causes all kinds of issues. So you still have to eat the calories just at a different time of day. Yeah, I think this is often why when I'm reading different ideas and different concepts about diet, I always end up defaulting back to my sort of standard, I'll just describe it as quasi-good diet because I feel like it's doing what it needs to do. It's certainly not perfect, but I know that I'm, I'm able to go out and do big rides when I want to do big rides. Totally, yep. I don't quite know if that's the best strategy, but it sort of works for me. (laughs) Yeah. um, I found uh, a lot of athletes these days are more inclined to be restrictive than 
to be inclusive with the types of foods they're eating. Um, and so meeting your energy needs is like the number one priority. And then we can focus on where that energy is coming from. But yeah, making good food choices and making all those decisions is all part of it. I just think about it as a sort of never ending vision I have for myself of heading in the right direction. I never quite get there, but I'm yep. heading in the right direction. Totally. Well, Kristen, I appreciate all the information. If someone wants to find out more about your work, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, um, arnoldrdn.com is my website. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kristen K. Arnold. And um, and I think those are the best ways. Awesome. Well, I'll put those in the show notes and make sure everybody knows how to reach out and get in touch with you. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for having me. Big thanks to Kristen for all the time and insights she gave. I hope you walk away with a little bit better understanding of how to get fueled up for your next big ride. And another thank you to Bike Index for sponsoring this episode. Remember, bicycle registration is free, and their stolen bike recovery platform is worth its weight in gold, should you ever have your bicycle stolen. So that's it for this week. Remember, if you're interested in checking out our new online forum called The Ridership, just send me an email or hit me up on social media. We're really starting to see exactly what we were looking for and hoping for in the ridership with the interactions. We're seeing riders come together regionally, but also at a super high level, looking at the sport across the board. We're seeing members ask great questions, share great routes, share great pictures. It's really exciting to see. So that's it for this week. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.